on, let's give him a shout of praise. Come on. Man, whether you know it or not, or whether you experience it or not, God's got an awesome plan for your life. Amen? He loves you so much. And I'll tell you what, man, you are going to be blessed today. we got Pastor Troy Maxwell in the house. How many of you were here last night? Huh? How many of you heard, heard him before? How many of you have heard Pastor speak before? Yeah, if you have not, you're, you're in for a treat this morning. He's a friend of Attorney Church, a dear friend of Pastor Jesse and Lawrence. Um, Troy and Penny are, are people that they go to, uh, they look up to. The Bible says give honor, honors due. So as pastor comes, let's give him some honor this morning. Come on, give it up. Awesome. Can we give Jesus another big hand clap? Just thank God for being here. I love your church and your worship team. Give it up for your worship team, Amanda. Isn't that great? I know in Iowa... It's normal to have a beard that clean, but in Charlotte, it's one of our prayers that we're trying to get answered. <laughs> I could never grow a beard like My wife would never let me grow a beard like that. She says it scratches her when I kiss her, so there's no kissing if I have a beard. And everybody knows in church what kissing leads to. Dancing. <laughs> Somebody grew up Baptist. <laughs> Father, we're just so grateful to be in the house of the Lord today. We're so thankful uh, for what you're going to do in our lives, Father. We are in expectation. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear just the call uh, to us as men, as women, family members. We don't want to walk out of here the same. We want to walk out different. Just one thing, God. If you could just do one thing in our life, just that would kind of shift us, move us, Maybe shrink the path down just a little bit so that we can walk closer with you. We can know you better. We can come into contact with you better. Maybe remove some distractions, some things that we've been holding on to that honestly you just want us to let go of so we can have that better communication with you, that clean communication. We want to be strong witnesses for you in our community, on our jobs with our family members, with those that we come into contact all the time with that don't know you. Father, we want to be that living epistle that's read of all men. We want to be that letter that people can read. Father, we, we thank you that, that your anointing is here. Father, I pray that you'll use me today. Um, and if I need to get out of the way, I'll get out of the way. Whatever needs to happen, Lord, let it happen in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Before you sit down, tell three people you look way better than you did last week, and then you, uh, then you can have a seat. You look way better than you did last week. <clears throat> so how many of you came last night to church last night? A bunch of you did. So uh, I texted Pastor Jesse you know, because typically what I do whenever I travel is I say, hey, what do you want me to preach on? Are you guys in a series? Are you doing something specific? And he said, no, we're not in a series. Just do whatever you want. And so I threw out a couple messages to him. I said, hey, what do you think about this one or this one? And he goes, man, I love both of those messages. And I, and I just said jokingly, I said, hey, well, I could do both. Not thinking that he would make me do both. But I, I did preach a different message last night. Then I preach today. I'd encourage you to get the, 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 whatever you call it, the podcast. I almost said CD. Like, that's how old I am. Cassette tape, the eight track for Joe. Joe will give you the eight track. And uh, so just grab, maybe watch that. It's, it's a little bit different, a whole different feel. Today is going to be way more teachy than it was last night because I think there's some questions that people are asking right now. Uh, in the world that we live in, people that you know, that you come into contact with every single day, that they want answers to. And so at our church right now, our whole summer, we are, we are answering, what does the Bible say about you fill in the blank? And so my wife just did a message, what does the Bible say about women in ministry? Uh, because that's a big issue. You know, if you grew up Baptist like this guy over here did, uh, you know that the Baptists are 
having that conversation. Uh, a lot of people talk about that. My wife answers that question biblically. Uh, I did a message called, What Does the Bible Say About Mental Health? We've talked about what does the Bible say about honor. Today, I want to talk about what does the Bible say about heaven and hell? Heaven and hell. Now, what's interesting is that 66% of people in America believe that heaven exists. But only 6% believe that hell exists. See, you can't believe in heaven and not believe in hell. Now, as non-Christians, there's basically two answers that they give to post-death experience. Uh, one answer is an atheistic uh, answer or an agnostic answer answer is that we just cease to exist. So you were born, you know, you were created kind of in this big bang. Uh, we were a lump of cells a long time ago or one cell that evolved. And as human beings, just like everything, when it's over, it's over, which means there's no purpose. You don't need to live for anything. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to affect anybody. You can just live for yourself, create your own morals. There's no God. And so there's nothing, there's no afterlife, okay? That's, that's one way that people think that are non-Christians. Other non-Christians believe in what's called universalism, which says that everybody gets into heaven, that there's no way that God, this lover of human, uh, mankind, would ever create a place called hell, so everybody gets into heaven. And it's based on one attribute is how good you are. Now, that's a scary thing because Jesus one time was walking and he was having this conversation with this attorney that came to him. This lawyer came to him. And the, uh, the, the lawyer was wanting to know about eternal life. Like, what's the future look like? How do I inherit eternal life? And he said to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus made a statement to him that's real important for us to understand. He says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. In other words, the standard of good is God and we will never meet it. So good is relative because my good and Joe's good are very different. You know, I, I might not think it's a good thing to flip somebody the bird when they came out of Chick-fil-A. Joe would. He says it's okay to do that. If they get in front of you, they jump in front of you, then, you know, it's okay to give them the Hawaiian good luck sign. Tell them they're number one. In his own way. Okay, I don't think that's good. Joe thinks that's okay. So in, in the framework of universalism, you know, Joe would get into heaven and I would get into heaven based on our goodness. But the truth is you'll never be good enough. It's important to understand that. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do good enough. Because that means that one person can be better than the other person. And when it comes to God, we are, we are all destined for hell, but Jesus died for us and, and set us free. So heaven is forever, hell is forever. And just so you know, if you grew up Catholic, there is no such thing as purgatory. Purgatory. Now, what, you know, why, why, you know, if you didn't grow up that way, what is purgatory? You've heard of it. Purgatory was a place that Catholics created to readdress sins. Well, when Jesus died for us, he addressed our sins one time. We don't have to address them again. So there's no waiting period if you die between heaven and hell where God decides and judges you. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, what about the, what about the, 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 the man who died, Lazarus who died, and he went to a place called Abraham's bosom? Well, Abraham's bosom was heaven pre-Jesus. So, so that... You remember when Jesus rose from the dead, it says the saints of old walked the streets. So those saints that were waiting for Jesus, anticipating the Messiah, now were with him in heaven, with God in heaven. So hell is forever because heaven is forever. So why do we even talk about heaven? What's the importance of us? You know, you're going, I hope. Okay, if not by the end of the service, we can make sure that you have a ticket stamped. Okay, all right. But why do we even talk about it? Why do we need to even know about it? Because eternity has implications and everybody you come into contact with, there's implications to that relationship. And so when you understand eternity, when you understand 
how bad hell is and how good heaven is. Every relationship, every interaction, every point of influence, every relationship, it changes in its dynamic. The way you see people, the way you handle people, the, the way you handle conversations. What we do with eternity affects everybody around us. So let's talk about eternity. Let's talk about heaven and hell. Matthew chapter 25. If you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Write this down. Look at your notes. Write on somebody. Take some notes today. You might learn something, all right? Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. Now, this is Jesus in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is talking about the end times. Now, you and I both know that we are in the end times. We are in the midst of the end times. As soon as, as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, the clock began of the end times. His second coming is sure soon. I don't know. Nobody knows. If anybody tells you they know, they're a liar. Only God knows when Jesus is coming back. But he's talking about what it's going to look like. And right here in this verse, these few verses, he talks about heaven specifically and hell specifically. He says, when the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit, Jesus will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations, all the people, groups, everybody will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. Okay, so now, now we see there's a division of sheep on his right hand and goats on his left hand. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand. Who's on his right hand? It's not a trick question. Bah. I'll give you a hint. Bah. Who's on his right hand? Sheep. Okay, point at your neighbor. If you're a Christian, point at him. Say, I'm a sheep. Okay, if you're a Christian, you're a sheep. That's good. That's important. You want to be a sheep. You don't want to be a goat. Goats say, nah. That's why he called them sheep and goats, you know, because goats are always, nah, that's not true. Nah, that's not true. All right. And they get in trouble. That's a joke. It was a bad joke, but it's still a joke. I won't tell that next service. Then the king, <laughs> it didn't work. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, who's on his right? Okay, just good class. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, the sheep, the ones on his right side will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, the point of Jesus is not what you did, is that you is that the point is is that you understood that what you're doing affects their eternity. Okay, it's not about just giving them food or helping them because that's not really the point of doing it. What you're doing is trying to get their heart open so that you can inject Jesus into their heart. Does that make sense? So Jesus is talking about eternity. All right, verse 40, and the king will answer to those, as surely I say to you, verse 41, then he will also say to those on his left hand, who's on his left? Nay, nay, goats, all right. Depart from me, we're gonna talk about this one verse right here. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We're gonna spend our whole time on hell, that's, that's hell right there. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was Sorry, I lost my place. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister you? Then he will answer and say, surely I say to you as much in as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these. In other words, you were selfish. You did not do it to me. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Now, when I, when I wrote this message, I, I wanted to be real intentional about the order of how I shared it. Okay, so should I start with heaven and then with hell 
and basically leave you, leave you scared, scared, scared the hell out of you. Okay, that, that was, but this, this is intentional. I'm going to start with hell because I want to end with good today. Okay, we'll see what it looks like in the next service. If they look a little distraught and, you know, kind of raggedy, partied last night, I might end with hell on them. We'll see. So, I'll start with hell with you guys because you look very Christian-like. Now, when it comes to heaven and hell biblically, we really only get a glimpse of it. There's only little bits and pieces that we see throughout Scripture. Why is that? Why wouldn't God just describe it very specifically, let us know everything about it? The reason is, is because God requires faith. Everything about our Christian walk, faith is necessary. The Bible says that, that God is pleased with faith. In other words, there will never be anything associated with God that will not require faith at some point. So if you're kind of new to Christianity, let me just kind of let the cat out of the bag. You're going to go through some problems. You're going to go through some storms. Those of you that have been a Christian follower of Jesus for a long time, you know that you're going to go through problems. The longer that you're saved and the closer we get to the coming of Jesus Christ, faith is going to be more required of us because you're not going to understand. There are things that you're just not going to get. You're not, with, with where we are, who we are, who God is, there are things that you're going to go through that you're just not going to understand. And you got to be okay with that. You're going to have to have faith. Why did they die? You're going to have to have some faith because you're not going to understand. And he's not going to give you the answer. Why didn't he give me all the answers? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know that he doesn't give you all the answers. Sometimes you can't handle all the answers. Sometimes it's not necessary for you to have all the answers. Sometimes the answers really will mess you up, you know. And God has something better than the answer that you think. And so it requires faith. So the reason why we only get a glimpse of heaven and hell is because we have to have faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Faith, faith is required. So we get a glimpse of hell and we get a glimpse of heaven. When it comes to hell, a glimpse of hell, Jesus talks, talks more about hell than he talks about heaven, love, or faith. Biblically, he talks more about it. Verse 41, it says that to those on the left, depart from me. Now, I don't usually recommend movies to people at all. I never recommend movies in church specifically and an R-rated movie. I would never recommend an R-rated movie. However, there's a movie out. I think you can see it on Prime right now. It was in the theaters called Nefarious. Now, what, what, I, what I believe is Nefarious is the modern day take on the screw tape letters. Now, if you've never listened or read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, I would encourage you to listen to that first. And it's a great listen. It's a better listen than it is a read. So get the audio book, listen to Screw Tape Letters. Because what it does is it gives you kind of a behind the veil of a look at the enemy's um, influence on Christians. The enemy's influence, the spiritual warfare that's happening. And Nefarious is kind of a modern day look at this where this guy is on death row and he's about to be electrocuted. And a psychiatrist comes in who's an atheist. And his job is to determine whether this guy who's on death row is mentally fit to actually be electrocuted. When the guy who's on death row is demon possessed with a demon called nefarious and there's an interesting dialogue that happens between him and the psychiatrist that i want you to see about hell so watch this right here Is hell a state of being or a, a physical place? Yeah. I think I meant that as an either or. It's both, which is painfully obvious to anyone 
My master needed the understood the law of terminal locations. Instead of forgiving us, the enemy was going to allow you to fill our vacant places in his realm. Your creation was not allowed to slap on our face. But my master also understood that if he could make man disobey, then his fate would mirror ours. And you didn't disappoint. Then came the tears of all our meat. In that moment, spirit became matter, flesh became vessel. Self-will and self-seeking began a lusting after sin and purity. And man, created to be the king over nature, became its slave. A master, conquered and fed. And sin brought him and his descendants to us. pretty sobering, isn't it? To think about. Because hell is a real place. And the enemy, the devil, and his cohorts, they want to destroy you. They want you to spend eternity in hell. They want you to think it's not real. So let's talk about it. Let's just get a glimpse of it from the Bible. First of all, if you're taking notes, hell is the absence of God. In verse 41, it says, to those on the left hand, remember the goats on the left hand, he says, depart from me. The word depart means to proceed. It means to travel. It means to walk. One translation means to die or to not exist. Do you remember when God told Adam to, to make sure that he, he can enjoy all of the trees of the garden except there was one? He said, do not eat the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if you do it, you will surely die. Now, he wasn't talking about physically die. He was talking about cease to exist when it comes to God. So what he means is total and utter separation from God. No, no presence of God. Now, we might think in America that God has left, but because we are here as the church, God is still here. And so wherever you go, you carry God with you. You carry the presence of God with you. So his omnipresence is everywhere in the world. So it's hard for us to even think about a place or a situation where God does not exist. My first missions trip, I went to a place called Haiti. And uh, my, my pastor, we had a plane, we flew down into Haiti. And Haiti is a very, very destitute place. It's a very demonic place. You can feel sometimes when you go into places, you can feel the oppression of that place. So I remember he, we landed, it was about 12 or 13 of us, and he pops the plane open and he goes, welcome to Haiti. And I could feel, not only was the air thick and, and stunk terribly, but I could feel the oppression. And then God reminded me, reminded me that's nothing like it would be in hell because he still exists in Haiti. Okay, so when God doesn't exist, his character doesn't exist. So in hell, his attribute, attributes are completely non-existent. What are his attributes? To give a few, he is light. So there will be no light in hell. Zero light. God's not there. His character's not there. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced the absence of light. Very difficult for us. But one time when I, when I was a kid, like eight or nine years old, we would play in these big storm drains. They were like four or five feet tall. And they, would go, they went underneath my, um, uh, the apartments that I lived in. And, so, and we didn't have flashlights. You know, my parents would never let, my mom would never let me take a flashlight out because I was eight years old, you know. And so this was back in the day before cell phones, before everything. And we would play a long ways from home. Like my mom would say, please leave today. And don't come back until it gets dark. And she didn't care. She, I was gone. So we would go play in the storm drains. It was a great place to play. And so we, five or six of us would go in these storm drains. And by the time you got down a few turns, it was completely black. You couldn't even see the hand in front of you. And we would carry flashlights. I mean, not flashlights, but matches or lighters. And so we'd flash the lighter, and then we would see where we were going. There were like 30-foot drops. We'd walk up to an edge. We'd flash the lighter, and there was a 30-foot drop. But it was completely black. 
I couldn't see. It was my first experience in total and utter darkness. Well, hell's going to be even darker than that. There's no life in hell because the Bible says in him was life, which means there's nothing but decay and corruption and death. There's no love in hell. Why? Because God is love. So only the opposite of love will exist. Hate and ambiguity and indifference and coldness. Why? Because 1 John 4 says, And we have known and believed that love, the love that is from God, that is God, is, has for us God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God. So the attributes of love, care and concern and compassion and patience, will not be there at all. There's no good in hell. Why? Because God is good. Psalms 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's no mercy in hell because God is full of mercy, which means there's no compassion. There's no forgiveness. Lamentations 3 says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. There's no strength in hell. Why? Because God is the one who gives us strength. That means there's only weakness and lacking and frailty and ineffectiveness. Psalms 18 says, It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. There's no peace in hell. Because God is peace. He is the prince of peace. Which means there will be nothing but chaos and agitation and war and distress and irritation. Hell is a place of cursing. Jesus said, Depart from me, you cursed the passion translation says you are under a curse the message says you're good for nothing the niv says you are cursed the word cursed means to be unproductive ineffective of no value no worth no purpose complete emptiness hell is a is a place of everlasting fire it says depart from me you cursed into everlasting fire Hell in the New Testament is translated from the word Gehenna. Gehenna is the actual place right outside of Jerusalem. It's the, it's the trash dump. You can literally stand in Jerusalem, look out. I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. And you can see smoke coming up from this place called Gehenna. Gehenna in the Old Testament was called the Valley of Hinnom, where the Moabites and the Ammonites sacrificed to the god Molech. Molech was an idol with his hands stretched out like this. And there was fire all around him. And they would take their children, their babies, and they would put them on the hands of Molech. And because the hands were so hot, the babies would shiver and shimmer off of their hands and fall into the fire. And that's how they would worship the god of Molech. So hell is an everlasting fire, a place of eternal fire, a place of eternal judgment. The last thing about hell that I want you to understand is hell's not for us. It was never created for you and me. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never intended for, for you and me. It was reserved for the devil. See, if you don't know the story, Lucifer was one of three archangels that God created. Lucifer, he was the angel of worship, the angel, uh, the, the cherubim who covered the holy of holies. There was Gabriel, who was the messenger angel. Anytime that God needed to get a message to earth, he would use Gabriel. Gabriel went to Mary and, and told Mary, you're going to have a baby. His name's going to be Jesus. And then there's Michael, the warring angel. He was the one that would fight all the wars. You see him fighting all the time. Lucifer was filled with pride and that, because he, started, he saw all that the worship and glory that the God of the heavens, God, and he got angry. And it's like, well, why can't I have some? I want some of that worship. I will ascend to the heavens. I will, I will, I will. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 describes this falling. And the Bible says that because of his lies, he took a third of the angels with him. Therein lies the demons that we face every day, lust and pornography and alcoholism and, and drug addiction and, and homosexuality. All of these are demons that are led by Lucifer. And ultimately, they're all going to be thrown into the lake of fire, hell, which is reserved for him. Not for you and me. We're not supposed to go there. 
We're never supposed to go there. So let's, let's get a glimpse of heaven. Okay, that's hell. Let's talk about heaven. It's really just a glimpse. We don't see a whole lot about it in the scriptures. Just enough to get us excited and want to go there and take as many people as we can with us. Right? I mean, when you think about hell, I was having a conversation with somebody in the lobby back home when I preached this message. And when you start thinking about hell and you start really getting to understand it, you really don't want anybody to go there no matter how bad they are. And so I asked the question, I said, what do you think about Hitler? And they're like, wow, that's a tough question. Because when you really understand it and you really get a complete connection with what God is going to do or not do there, you go, man, I don't, really, I don't want anybody, no matter how bad they are, to go to that place. I want them to be in heaven. So we get a glimpse of heaven. Now, the Bible heaven and the world's heaven are very different. Because the world would like you to think that heaven's boring. That you, we're, when, we go, when we go there, we're going to be turned into bald-headed babies with wings, with harps. Pring, pring, pring. And we're just going to sit there and worship all the time. We love you, Lord. Bring, floating on a cloud. Okay, that's not heaven. And hell is this big party, you know, with, with you know, stuff going off and fireworks and, and Bud Light. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> so, so heaven, I mean, the world wants you to think that heaven's boring and hell's exciting. No, no, no. It's exactly the opposite. And listen, our view of heaven will determine the significance of our life here on earth. Is this good so far? Are y'all getting anything out of this? Okay. So when we start to see our lives through this eternal lens, things change. We look at people, we look at time, we look at value, we look at our purpose. Relationships are different when we think of eternity, the way we treat people. Who we let into our lives and who we give the gift of goodbye to, okay? Relationships are way different when you're looking through an eternity lens. Money is different when it comes to eternity. Then it's not just about how much I can get, it becomes how much can I give? What can I influence to get as many people on this side, on the right side of eternity? What can I do? What can I use this tool for? Church is different when we think eternally. We don't just think of it as an hour and 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. We think of it as a force that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. I'm a part of the greatest movement that has ever existed on planet earth. I, I'm a part of a team, an army. I'm a soldier. I'm a warrior. That's what we think about when we think eternally about church. Family's different when we think about eternity. Now we think about our kids as real arrows. We're the bow that releases them. They're not our kids. We've just been given stewardship for 18 years or 35, depending on how long you let them live in your basement. Okay. Now, if you are miserable here on earth, you probably don't have a real good understanding of eternity, God's kingdom. So here's what Jesus says about it, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. In other words, we're just passing through. We're pilgrims on our way to a homeland. Philippians 3 says we're citizens of heaven. 1 Peter 1 says that we have a reservation in heaven. Luke chapter 10 says our names are written in heaven. So first of all, heaven is a place. It's a real place. It's not a figment of our imagination. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. Solomon said, Solomon said that God, you're bigger than this temple. You're bigger than everything, but God lives in heaven. Now, this is hard for us to understand because God is bigger than the universe. So how can he fit into heaven? Well, it's because he lives on so many different dimensions. Outside of time, spiritually. God is a spirit. Luke 63 says, uh, Lord, look down from heaven. Lo, from your holy, glorious home and see us. Isaiah 57, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. 
So heaven will be a lot like earth except better. Way better. So we're not going to be on a cloud like a fat baby. No. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna experience education, growth. We're going to get to learn from those of old. Now, Revelation describes this place called the New Jerusalem. And John says, it's a great city that he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me a great city. So heaven is a great city. Now, understand something. When John is describing this, he has limited exposure. So he, is, he's, he lived 2,000 years ago in the first century, and, and he has limited exposure. So when he's describing what he sees, he's basing it solely on the exposure that he's had. So he, he sees a gate. It looks like a pearl. So he says the, the, the gates are made of pearl. Now, let me just ask you, do you think they're really made of pearl? Probably not. Because why would God, who is infinite in his resources, bigger than the universe, create something out of something he made on earth? But through John's eyes, that's what he saw. Okay? So, so don't get caught up in pearl gates or walls that are made of jewels. And he describes all the jewels because in his limited exposure, he's describing something that he's seen before. It looks like a jasper. It looks like a diamond. It looks like um, a topaz. It looks like this. Now, do you really think that the wall is made of jewels? Probably, but way better jewels than what we have on this planet. I see streets of gold. Do you really think they were gold? Because in his limited exposure, that was the most wealthy thing that he could have. So are they streets of gold? They might be. Really doesn't matter. Is it important? They're probably way better than gold. But to John, that's what they look like. Does it make sense? But it, the biggest thing you have to understand is that it's, it's a city that's 1,500 miles. This is part of heaven. Cubed. That's going to fall down and settle on earth. Jesus also said, heaven is my father's house. A paternal place. Now, I didn't grow up with a dad. I have single mom. I grew up a single mom house. No brothers or sisters. I'm an only child, so I'm spoiled. Don't touch my French fries. <laughs> but when I think of a father's house, I think of, for me, I think of my grandfather's house. It was safe. It was secure. Had a certain smell to it when you walk in, you know. You felt all the pantries were always full. It was comfortable. Everything wasn't laid out right, but it was, it was just like home. That's what Jesus is describing. That when we walk in, it's going to be a place of home. When my kids come to my house, they don't ever come through the front door. They don't ever knock. They just barge right on in. I'm an, I'm an empty nester, so my kids are gone. Thank God. Those of you that have kids, it gets way better, I'm telling you right now. They're here now only for a time. Get them out as soon as you can. It is awesome. I don't just have a naked room. I have a naked house. And so it's really their demise if they just walk through the door. They don't know what they're going to see or what they're going to get. But it's my house now. Amen. And all the parents said, come on, Jesus. I'm telling you right now. I know it's good right now. You love your kids right now, but you're going to love them even more than when they're gone. <laughs> But that's dad's house, you know? Like, that's, that's my house. They, they feel comfortable, confident, secure. That's what heaven's going to be like. Last thing I want to say about heaven is heaven is sin-free. It's flesh-free. There's no effects of sin. In other words, there would be no barriers between you and God. No barriers in communication. No distractions. Our free will will be sanctified. You won't want to make a wrong decision. Because you no longer have a sin nature. It's completely and totally gone. Jesus called heaven paradise. Remember when he was between the two thieves? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so let me just close with some big questions that I think are important for us to answer. Why would God create heaven and, earth and hell? Why would, he, why would he have good and bad it's a great question. It's a good place. Why would, why would there be a good place and a bad place? Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 11 goes on to say, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be also cut off. So heaven and hell are a representation of the two sides of God. Not opposing sides or conflicting sides, but two sides that are cohabitating. So God is good, but he's also just. Catch this now. This is, this is really important. God is love and God is holy and pure and righteous. God is kind and God is severe and stern. So heaven is God's goodness, God's love, and God's kindness expressed. Hell is God's wrath, his severity, and his holiness expressed. So God's wrath is not tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and natural disasters. That's not God's wrath. God's wrath is hell. And how he deals with sin. So, leads to another question. Why does evil exist? Did God create it? Okay, this is, this is a theological answer and also a practical, reasonable answer. The greatest, listen to me, church, listen to me. If you don't remember anything I said today, and I got like five minutes left, okay? Listen to what I have. The greatest gift that God ever gave you is the gift of choice. Let me say it another way. Your most powerful gift that you have, you say, you mean more powerful than worship? Yes, because you have to choose to worship. What about prayer? You have to choose to pray. What about serving? You have to choose to serve. What about giving? You have to choose to give. Your greatest gift and most powerful gift God gave you is the ability to choose. So, in other words, you've been given a free will. So what is evil? A good gift gone bad. God didn't create it. No, he created choice. Why did he give Adam a choice in the garden? Because love doesn't exist without choice. We would all just be robots if we didn't have a choice. So you have to choose to love God or choose to hate God. Or choose to not believe God doesn't exist. So does God allow things to happen? No, we choose them. He is limited, and he chose this himself, by his word. He only responds to his word. So God doesn't al allow an abortion to happen. No, the girl chooses to have an abortion. God doesn't allow 11-year-old to be raped. God, the, 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 the man who rapes the 11-year-old chose to do it. It's evil and horrible. And, and the question, why don't you stop it, God? He said, I can't because if I stop choice, then I end love. Are you following me? If I, if I stop you from choosing, then the whole thing doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is not an option anymore. He becomes an obligatory answer that we all have to take if there's no choice. God doesn't allow a school to be shot up by a teenager. He gave the teen a free will and he chose it. Romans 1.28, I'm almost done. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. It's called a divine abandonment. That's what we're facing here on this, in this country right now. It's God has said, I can't bless that. And so what we see is all the problems we're dealing with right now is a, is a choice. 
Lots of choices. That's why it's our job as the church to show people the right choice. Are you following me? His active wrath is hell. His passive wrath is, I'm going to let you make a choice. I'm going to let you change your mind. Right? See, people don't pick hell. They reject God. And that's what we don't want to do. And that's what you don't want to do. So how do you pick heaven and pick God? You put your faith in him. You live your life for him. You choose him. Deuteronomy, and I'll close with this verse. Matter of fact, why don't you stand up? And this is kind of the ploy, the, the push here. Y'all stop my clock over there. You stopped it at 5.15. Somebody said, you can't be done. All right. I'm, I got Deuteronomy 30. Listen, listen to this. Because this is, this is my, my call to you, no matter where you are in this life. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you life and death. Heaven and hell. I've given you both sides of the table. I've shown you the goodness of God and the justice of God. I've shown you the, the love of God and his purity. I've shown you his kindness, but I've also shown you his sternness and severity. And so I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, here's my ploy as a pastor, as a friend from North Carolina. Choose life. Choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. In other words, your choice just doesn't affect you. The things you ignore today, your kids will have to deal with. So men, don't ignore this decision. Be a man. Lead the family. Be the one who serves God. Be the one who prays first, says let's go to church first, who serves first, who gives first. It's your job as the man to do that. It's your job, men. That's our job is to lead the way. You have a choice today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to make that choice and become a servant of Jesus Christ to choose life, to choose heaven, not hell, we just got a glimpse of it today. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a place that's absent of God. I don't, I don't want to go to a place that God has abandoned, has no, no attributes. I don't want to go to a place that there's no life and no love and no mercy and no compassion. I don't want to go to a place that is, that is, uh, that is everlasting fire and full of judgment and no, no, no life at all there. No, I want to spend eternity with a loving God who cares for me, who's full of mercy and faithfulness and joy and hope and peace and value and purpose. And you can too. All you have to do is say, yes, I choose you. That's the beginning. And then you come to church, and Eternity Church teaches you how to live that out. It's, not a, it's just not a, a one prayer and then you're done. I know that's what has been taught a long time. But I just say this one time, and then I can just go live like hell the rest of my life, and everything's going to be all right. No, no, that's not how it works. No, we decide to follow Jesus, and because we decide, because we choose to love him, Love changes our behavior because I want to serve him. I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. I want to help people because I want other people to experience the goodness and the love and the kindness that God has given to me. And so my life's not perfect, but man, I'm giving it my best shot. And you can decide that today. So I'm going to count to three. If you're here today and you say, yes, I want, to, I want heaven I want a God of love. I want to experience his goodness. I want all my sins to be washed away. I choose life today. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you're not following him. I think there's some husbands in this room. And yeah, you come to church on Sundays, but the rest of the week, you know you're not living for him. And you need to make a decision today. You need to make a choice I'm calling you out today as a man. Man to man, you need to stand up and serve God fully. You can do it. There's lots of great men in this church who'll help you. They're not perfect. They're going to mess up. 
They're going to make mistakes. Pastors are going to mess up. Church isn't going to be perfect. But hey, we're going to give it our best shot and we're going to help you grow and be the godly man that you've been. Or, or anybody here, if, if you know you're not following Jesus, you know that you're not right with God and you want to. And when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. You ready? One, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Two, choose life today. Three, just raise your hand all across this room. Raise it up high so I can see it. Raise it up high. Raise it up high. Look at all those hands. Amazing. Amazing. Church, can we give them a big hand? Keep that, keep that hand up. Keep that hand up. Those of y'all that raised your hand, I want you to keep it up. Real quick. Okay, real quick. If you raised your hand, this is a step of faith. I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. Real quick. I want to pray with you. Real quick. I only got like two minutes. Real quick. Come on, get out of your seat. Keep clapping for them, church. Come on. Keep clapping for them. Come on, man. So proud of you. So proud of you. I saw way more hands than these two. Get out of your seat and come. Don't hesitate. Come on. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. So proud of you. So proud of you. So proud of you, man. So proud. So proud of you. So proud of you, bro. So proud of you. I still think there's about two more people that raised their hand. Just come. Look, man, you may have been coming to this church for a while. You still need to come. Come on. Five more seconds. Four, three, two, one. Let's pray. Lift our hands up. Y'all lift your hands up to heaven. Just a way of surrender. Close your eyes. Let's pray this all together. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today I give my life to you. Today I, I begin a new life. I will follow you all the days of my life. I believe that you were raised from the dead so I could start over. Today I press the reset button and I begin a new life in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap. Stay right here, guys, for a second. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.